Hey everyone, this is Anthony Grant, and I want to introduce you all to this podcast. It's called Superstar PR, and it's all about entertainment insider chats with Nikki, the founder of the PR agency, Nikki Inc. This podcast chats with some serious entertainers and media insiders, always choosing people who are making a difference in the entertainment world and who have cool stories to share. Happy listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Superstar PR Season 3. My name is Nikki Papayuenu, and I'm the owner of a boutique PR firm called Nikki Inc. in Toronto, Ontario, with clients who are global, and they all make me laugh because they have the best stories. I promise to bring you the best guests, and so far, I think we're doing well because you seem to like these characters I'm bringing you. And today, I have Radian Simon Pillai, and he is the film critic for CTV's National Breakfast Show, Your Morning, and a culture writer for Toronto's Alternative Weekly Now magazine. Rad also has a Friday flick segment on CTV News Channel and is a frequent contributor to CBC Radio. And he's a pretty decent guy. And I want to welcome Rad to this podcast. Welcome. How are you? I'm good, Nikki. Thanks for having me. How are you? Oh, you know what? These are interesting times we're living in. <laughs> they are. They are. You know, like Nikki, I don't know. Has any of your other podcast guests commented on your beautiful wall on this podcast? Do your listeners know? No, you know what? My listeners, don't, they don't know that I have. They, they, she has the most beautiful brick wall behind her, her office space where she could do. I mean, this is not for made for radio. This is made for TV. She has her logo in her uh, on her wall. It is the most beautiful setup. And I'm absolutely jealous because I'm huddled in my daughter's bedroom in front of a Barbie house while Nikki got, has a wall with her name on it. Um, it's it's. It's, it's not fair. You're making me laugh, Rad. Listeners, <laughs> I have to tell you, I did a lot of PR work in my yoga wear, um, cross-legged on the ground. But one day after a trip to Asia, my husband said, okay, I've got to do something nice for her. <laughs> she's She's been taking it for the team. And I do a lot of calls, but this is a cool wall. I have to agree with you. <laughs> yes, it is a very cool We're going to renovate our house soon. And I'm going to cry when this comes down. <laughs> It'll be so sad. So Rad, um, I don't normally ask people about their childhood, but I think yours is so interesting. So can you tell Ooh. us about your childhood just a little bit? Like, Ooh, where do I begin? Um, okay, so I was born in Sri Lanka. How, wait, how little? Like, I could go, like, I mean, my childhood, there was a lot. <laughs> so, like, uh, so maybe the childhood, the things that stand out to you that relate to what you're doing now. Oh, okay. Maybe for the moment, you know, like, I think it's really cool that you were born in Sri Lanka, but were there anything that kind of you think carved who you are and how you got here? I mean, here's the thing. I, I feel like everything everything contributes in some way to how I got here. And I mean, like, certainly you could say that on the one hand, my childhood, uh, the experiences don't necessarily inform me as a film critic, but yet they do because they're, they, they're, they're the things that distinguish me from most film critics. I think, you know, you're not, you're not new to the conversation about how most film critics in the world are white men and throughout history. And we are having this moment where people are reconciling with the whole conversation about having representation, different things like that. And certainly my childhood, it never seemed like a benefit to me before because uh, I've been doing this for, I mean, I started doing this in 2005 as a student film critic and stuff. Um, and it just, it, it all of a sudden it, when Oscars so white came around, everyone was like, Oh, you're diverse. I was like, yeah, but I've been, <laughs> you know, I've been around, but no, so my childhood, yeah, I was born in Sri Lanka. I came here as a, as a refugee, a Tamil refugee when I was four years old with my parents, our our house was burned down in Sri Lanka, and that's what uh, precipitated that. We were in a refugee camp, stuff like that. Uh, arrived in Canada, uh, so arrived. So 
the refugee process is a bit complicated. You escape your country, you end up in China and then Hong Kong, and then you land here. It's like you don't have a visa to the place you're going. Uh, the way it worked out is while we were in Hong Kong or something, my parents got a visa to Peru, but the connecting flight was in Vancouver. And as you get off the connecting flight in Vancouver, the Canadian customs agents are right there saying, Tamil refugees, you come on this way. We know you're coming here. Um, that's how that worked. Uh, and so I ended up in, uh, so I grew up like, so when we landed, we ended up in tuxedo court in Toronto at Scarborough. Uh, and that's where I grew up, uh, like for most of my years, uh, as a for teen years, like, uh, youth years, um, tuxedo court. I mean, if, if anyone from Scarborough, they know this neighborhood. Um, you can, if you uh, look it up, I mean, you can guess at some of the stuff I've seen in tuxedo court. Um, and then, but yeah, so then again, that's the thing that contributes to the kind of unique perspectives and stuff. And then. Uh, but, uh, and then in terms of the things that got me here, well, I mean, let's tell, let me tell you, like, look, I have been a lover of film pretty much all my life. I was just a big movie fan as a child, whether that was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to Citizen Kane and the Godfather. Um, and I actually started reading movie reviews from the age of 12. Uh, in fact, my first, the, like, like my parents subscribed to the Toronto star. So I grew up. Uh, read, I grew up on a diet of Peter Howell, Jeff Bevere, Judy Kirstel, reading their reviews every day, like clockwork. And as a teen, I would be that kid from Scarborough who, oh, this movie got a five-star review, but it, it's playing all the way in the Uptown Theater at Young and Bloor. Let me get my, make my, take my ass over to Kennedy Station, get to Young and Bloor and watch this thing. Um, and that's how I grew up. At the same time, I never imagined being a film critic. I mean, I was consuming it. I did think maybe I could have a career um, behind the scenes, like working, like making movies or something. So I wanted to go to film school. My parents now, you know, you hear this from a lot of Asian kids. Their parents always want you to be a doctor, lawyer, or engineer. My parents certainly subscribe to that mentality, especially with the, the peer pressure of their cousins. So they were like, no, we're not going to pay for your education if you go to film school. So I was like, okay. So then I ended up going to U of T for uh, computer science thing is my parents hustled me because they didn't have any money for university so i ended up having to pay for that myself in a program that i did not want to do um so good on them they but then i failed school for like three years actually got suspended uh, a couple times suspended twice uh served the suspension came back with a vengeance did, did went into english and started writing film reviews for the student paper the uft paper the varsity and while i was writing for the varsity, and then i uh actually got my grades up so high that i got into the ma the very first ma program at uft for cinema studies and while i was in that program and while i was writing for the varsity now magazine recruited me and made me the first tamil film critic or most first brown film critic in canada uh, and that's where my career began. That's wicked. What a cool story. I went to U of T, but nothing cool <laughs> like that happened to me. I just didn't do very well. <laughs> like, but it depends on what you see as cool. I mean, when you're, when you're at U of T, all you're seeing is some dude writing movie reviews. You don't know what's going on in the background. Okay, I will also say, while I was in cinema studies writing movie reviews, and, I'm sorry, while I was in cinema studies taking courses and writing movie reviews, I also owned some ATM machines in Brampton, and I would come to class with a duffel bag of $100,000 in cash because I had I was on my way to the ATM machine. You know, I had to stop at class first, go to the class, and then go over to Brampton to fill my ATM machine. <laughs> so interesting life, I'm telling you. Okay, <laughs> like, okay, so you know, you're you get to watch movies. This is what you're paid to do. How many movies do you say you watch a week? Um, again, now this okay. This depends on the week. I mean, first of all, we're going to pretend that we're not. We're talking about 2019 and not 2020. 
2020 is like broke all the rules of what how things works but on average i mean i look my minimum my bare minimum as it comes to movies is watching three movies a week that's because that's how much i could that's how much time i have on your morning and ctv news to talk about movies i can only talk about at the most three movies so that's my minimum um uh i would say uh like on average i'm watching four to five movies a week um uh just between my coverage for your morning as well as maybe some extra stuff i'm reviewing for now and extra stuff i'm seeing just because i want to do my due diligence but then comes with something like the film festival where i'm actually watching 20 movies a week or no 20 movies in the five day period so four movies a day like the pre-film festival before the film festival even begins like that's a so when tiff comes along we start reviewing movies in the middle of august and we're on a regimen of four movies a day, reviewing those movies the same day, so that way I could then cl- like like clockwork start again the next day. Um, and that we do that for a few weeks, so that we can you know as a team regurgitate a hundred reviews into our preview guide before the film festival even begins. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so so minimum three, the at the max four a day on a very insane one month diet of nothing but movies. That's insane. Like. It has to, you have to have a family that likes movies if you're watching that many movies. Does your family do this with you? Yeah, the kids, the, like, so uh, it's definitely the kids come with me for the kids. Well, my wife is my date to every movie almost, right? Like, I mean, bear in mind, I mean, I think you know this a little. There's certain screenings they hold for us in the mornings where it's only press and I can't bring anyone. And then there's those screenings where I, that are like called promo screenings where I could bring my wife or bring extra guests. So my kids always accompany me to the kids' movies. Uh, my wife always accompanies me to every other movie. Now my kids are at the age where they're starting to watch older people movies. And now they're fighting with my wife about who gets to go with daddy to certain movies. Like my son, especially like if it's like, you know, one of those PG 13 borderline action movies, like my, my wife still wants to go. My son's like, no, <laughs> like, you know, so, so that we were, we were, re- we were getting into that stage where I had to like ask studios, like, look, I know this is not really a kid's movie, but my kids really want to go. Can I bring the whole family? Oh my God. I love it. You're a cool dad. Yeah. That's just like a cool dad. <laughs> like you can say it. I'm a cool dad. You know? Well, I mean, no, like, listen, like we're, it's getting, kind of bad because like my kid broke the he's 10 years old my oldest um but we let him break into the r-rated territory so he's been watching like Terminator. no okay so for, this is how it actually happened okay uh screening of hellboy 2 i mean sorry not hellboy 2 no no hellboy 3 or the, the latest hellboy the hellboy that just came out the new hellboy right okay uh there's a screening of that and my wife doesn't really care and so i'm like i'm gonna take my son because it's, it's a hellboy it's a comic book movie and the last few hellboy movies i i didn't think anything of it I get to this theater and the publicist is like, you're brave. I'm like, why? Right? Uh, this is last summer or early or last spring, like more than a year. They're like, you're brave. I'm like, why? I don't get it. And like, this is an R-rated movie. And I'm like, what? Like all the Hellboys have been PG-13, like the Guillermo del Toro movies. It's like, no, no, no. This is like not that kind of Hellboy. So I'm sitting there with my son and there's people getting disemboweled and all this. And he's just like, whoa. Um, and that was it. You know, that was that was, I call that his RoboCop moment because, you know, we were all kids that re- thought that RoboCop was a kid's movie because there was a cartoon and then you see the real RoboCop and it's bloody as hell. That was his RoboCop moment. And, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like breaking a hymen after you, you can't go back after that. Right. Like, so then, you know, I have him on Terminator 2. And most recently, you know, my son's name is Django with the D, D is silent. And so for his 10th birthday, he, he's been waiting for this for a long time, but he finally watched Django Unchained. Best name ever. 
Terrible. Like, uh, I mean, that was, and that is, that has to take the cake as the most brutal movie he's ever seen. And, but he's been waiting because he was actually on the red carpet of that movie. That's cool. Uh, like, yeah, the publicist put him on the red carpet with Tarantino. So it's, he's known that story. He's known that there's some movie with his name and he's been waiting for that. So for his 10th birthday, he finally watched it. And boy, was that, was that an experience. Absolutely. I mean, those are what we call bucket list unforgettable moments. <laughs> yeah, but. Okay, so let me ask you, top three films. Can you narrow it down to three films that you've ever watched? Um, I mean, I could I could certainly give you three immediate, the ones that immediately popped in my head. Three movies did pop into my head. Okay. And I mean, so first, look at The Godfather. The Godfather is actually the one that I most regularly go to as my favorite movie. And that's because it's been the most, it has the most longevity as my favorite movie. It was a favorite movie of mine from when I was a teenager. Um, And because it's a brilliant film, it's The Godfather. I don't have to tell you why The Godfather is a great movie. The Godfather is a great movie. But also it holds a special place in my heart because it was, it was kind of a gateway movie for me. It did open my, when I watched The Godfather and experienced The Godfather, it, it broke open a whole new world of movies for me. It's the movie that made me want to go and discover more, a lot more old movies um, and like a, a lot more of the greatest movies, so to speak, and like just film history. Um, it's also the first, it was, there was a special connection between my, me and my dad when it came to that movie. It like, I mean, it's such a small thing, but it was big for me. Like, so, uh, okay, he, understand this for me growing up my dad did not care for me watching so many movies he especially because uh he felt that i was losing my culture and i didn't want to watch tamil movies so he thought he was really losing me to hollywood and english and that stuff um and so growing up i was only allowed to go to the movies once a year i was restricted to going to the movie theaters once a year as a child up until i could uh make my own money at 13 and start paying for my paying my own way to the movie theaters um so there was that. And also because my parents couldn't afford to go to me, take me, let me go to the movie theater. So that's why I had to wait till I can earn my own money. So I was only allowed to go to the movies once a year and I was forbidden from buying movies. Like it was just not allowed. Like when I, one time I did, I used my own money to buy a movie. My dad busted up that tape. Just like uh, something, it was a disciplinary thing. It was also a wasting money thing. But when I was taken by The Godfather and fell in love with The Godfather, uh, for one of my birthdays, my dad actually bought me the trilogy box set. So it was like all of a sudden he broke his own rule because it's like, you know what, you me I love this movie too. Let me gift you this trilogy. So like so it holds like that kind of sentimental value where it's like, okay, like we both kind of share this and you're willing to like now evolve in the way you parent me based on this movie for some reason about the mafia. I don't know. <laughs> That's wicked. Your dad's like, hey now, son, you got good taste. <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like it's like now you're playing a big man game. So let's go, let's get on this. Totally. Yeah. Okay, Godfather, I agree with you. Okay, what else do you got? You got two- oh, sorry, two more movies. Yes. Okay, so the other two movies, I mean, I, I mean, there's no intimate stories to it necessarily. Well, I mean, no, so one of them is La Ventura. Uh, you, I don't know if you're aware of this movie. It's a 59, 1959 Italian film by Michelangelo Antonioni. Totally, this is me being the most snobbiest person you could possibly imagine it's an it's an art house film from the 1959 post-italian neorealism it's about like bourgeois italian people of, of a new generation who are suffering from a certain malaise um it is just an absolute it's a movie that i could play back in my mind and i'm just riveted by the images of it and kind of the soul of it it is not an easy movie for by any means for most people to intake it is like art house to the core um and i love the shit out of it um so like there's that's that one uh and then nashville is the other one uh if you you're you're probably familiar with nashville not the tv show 
1975 Robert Altman movie. It is a country music musical. Now, let me tell you something, how special this movie must be, because I am a brown man who grew up on hip hop and doesn't know anything about whoever the hell. I can't tell my Eric Clapton apart from Eric Chapman or whatever these people's names are. But this is a musical, a country music musical. And it is just, what a, first of all, it, it's a brilliant movie that is just kind of a portrait of America in the mid 70s and that kind of great, like crazy political moment. But it's also like it's so involving and so so kind of democratic in the way it brings people together in storyline and the way it brings the audience in that it got me this man who should not be loving country music i actually remember the music and i will tap my feet and enjoy listening to the tunes because i'm that involved in that storyline i'm gonna watch both of these movies because i've seen the godfather and my husband's italian so if i tell him we're gonna watch la ventura he'll be so impressed <laughs> Oh, I want to hear his reaction because that ain't no regular Italian movie. Okay. Yeah, no, but yeah. you're going to get an email about that one. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be like, what happened? Okay, so now let me ask you, because um, I ask everybody this, do you think social media, as it relates to your job, is helping us or is it hurting us? Like, what's it doing to this world? Oh, to my job? It's killing my job. My job's not going to exist. You think? Like, oh yeah. I mean, because I mean, social media is part of, uh, part of is an extension of this internet culture and Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I mean, if you think of the death of film criticism, Rotten Tomatoes has certainly made is certainly one of the things that immediately has reduced film criticism to where like nobody's engaging in like people don't need to pick up paper and read. Uh, or they don't need to click on the individual reviews to read whether people like it because they're not that interested because they they just have a, a, a tomato meter, a percentage that says whether they should see it or not, right? You know, and if you think about it, it's like this idea of ranking movies, rating movies, that's not really film criticism. No. You know, like film criticism actually, like there was no rating system. There was no stars given to a movie. There was no thumbs up or thumbs down. That's all. Thumbs up, thumbs down is the invention of Roger Ebert. And that's part of the downfall of film criticism. Film criticism, film criticism is just the writing that tells you, that engages with the movie and praises the movie or not. And you had to read the whole thing. So even a rating, star rating system is a good way. It is was be the beginning death knell of film criticism rotten tomatoes then is the next step by accumulating those little ratings uh, so that people don't have to read the reviews anymore they don't have to engage with the ideas um they just it's good or bad and then the thumbs up and thumbs down is the kind of the ultimate like let's just simplify it as much as much as we can social media reduces everything to a like or a retweet you know like and then so and and it's gotten so pervasive to the point that first of all anyone's a film critic and you you even have studios marketing tweets like they're using tweets and using like taking tweets to be part of the promotional tool. So right now, I mean, if you talk to like, I mean, like uh, Nikki, I don't know how many movies you handle, like, like for the studios, but a lot of these studio publicists, they're, they're concerned that their big concern is how I affect the, the tomato meter and how I affect social media, right? Specifically the tomato meter. If I bring that tomato meter 1% down, they're the one catching hell. They're like, Oh, you invited that guy to the screening. You, you, it was your fault. I was one of your people. Yes. And then, like, in the on the flip side, it's like the the tweets. I I I know I heard from um, one publicist where they had a whole day at the office because I made a tweet about a George Clooney movie and he was not happy with it. And they were like, "Rad!" Like they had to spend the whole day calming that situation down. Um, but it's like, but the thing is, it's it is just a reduction of what we do. Um, I mean, now at this point, we have to be on social media because we have to be engaged with this, and because now social media is this new 
is part of the news, you know, like it has become part of the news cycle. It's, I mean, it regurgitates the news cycle, but then it becomes the news cycle. So you have to find out like what's blowing up on social media. Um, so you have to be engaged with that. But at the same time, it's like we're throwing up our best ideas on there and no one's paying for us to be on social media. There's no income out of this. Um, so for me, it's, I mean, it's not social media alone that is the problem. It is um, like the whole internet culture. But at the same time, social media has, I mean, I'm, uh, this is not, I don't completely hate it because social media has also been one of the great uh, facilitators of change, right? Like, you know, like if we're talking about social change and all of this and like the, the hashtag, like Oscar's so white and Black Lives Matters. It's social media that is organizing us and bringing us all together and getting us behind certain ideas, depending on which social media we're talking about. Because then you also have something like Facebook, which is doing a great job at just dividing us, right? So Yeah, I'm, I'm a little troubled with Facebook these days. And uh, mm-hmm. <sighs> the algorithms and... Yeah, the algorithms. Like, I just want to make sure that the the censorship that's on this planet Mm -hmm. it's like whose voice are we censoring Mm -hmm. and you know i've never been happier than to see black lives matter trending Mm -hmm. because my closest friend is a black girl and you know you tell me the 10 10 times i could point out that have made me very upset and they weren't directed at me but she was beside me right 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 and so this is the world we live in and i have clients who are diverse and rad off the record one day, I'll tell you some of the things I've heard that are racially motivated about the people I represent. And I on purpose represent diverse people. It's personal. Right, right, right. But this world has a way to be educated and a way to love a lot more than we do because we are not as separate as we think we are. Right, right, for sure. Sorry, that was my little thought. (laughs) It had to be said. Had to be said, man. Okay, Rod, any life lesson you want to share with us? And I joke that sometimes this is like lesson from my mama, but it, it could be any life lesson. Somebody gave you a life lesson and it's a nugget that stayed with you that you think you might like live with. Ooh, well, I just got one recently, like literally last, last week from my boss at your morning. Okay. I mean, and this may be a cliche life lesson, but I mean, like, so, yeah, I'm not good with the life lessons. People don't often, I don't get too many life lessons and I don't, I certainly have not learned enough from this world to give life lessons. Um, but uh, like my, my, my big boss, the, the big boss at your morning, the executive producer of the show just talked to me and she's like, Rad, like, like, think about what is the thing that scares you and excites you at the same time? That's the thing you got to do. Um, I can't tell you the context of why she did it, but certainly those are words that have, I mean, I'll, I'll give, I'll give you some context. Like, like we had this conversation last week and those, those are words that like have certainly defined everything I'm thinking right now. And within the last week and the, the reason why I'm like, I guess I'm talking about, like I, I had this conversation with her is because, you know, we are in COVID-19 and things are changing. The world is changing. Uh, and some like there are new opportunities that are presenting themselves. And so I was, she was giving me advice about how to, what, 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 trying to help me figure out where I want to go and what I want to do in my life. And that's what it was. Like it was, I mean, I, I, it was really the first time anyone has ever said those words to me. I'm sure that's one of those uh, pieces of advice that has circulated out there, but it just meant a lot to me right now. What is the thing that both excites you and scares you? Um, and that is exactly what I'm currently going for right now. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't have any other real no, bits of advice. Fine. Unless yeah, dude, <laughs> what scares you, what excites you, and I've got one for you. Mm-hmm. Um, why not you? What do you mean? Oh yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I feel like I'm already meeting you there. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> the, uh, that that definitely applies to what I'm doing right now. Yeah. Well, okay. I feel like the best person I could ask this question to is you. So, Rod, are you consuming anything right now? Maybe not work related. Like, I just binge watched Queen of the South on Netflix, and it was like three days of not even sitting down on my couch. What is that? Queen of the South is like the story about the Mexican drug cartel. And I, oh. I've been told by some Mexican friends that this is like a real story. Oh, I know. No, no, no. Because that, that the name Queen of the South re, re, like rang a bell. So, like, yeah, I do think like, well, I mean, there's been a few female Mexican cartel figures. But uh, yeah, yeah, no. Like, and so like uh, there's w- one of them operating out of the U.S. Uh, d- uh, like um, the Miami one. Like, are we talking real life here or there's a real life? No, no, we're talking real life, like a real life cartel figure operating out there they they already made like um they already made like a a movie about her or a documentary about her she was like a vicious like a former prostitute turned cartel boss uh really like ruthless and violent uh they they had a movie about her there was something cowboy or narcotics cowboy or something like that um but no women women kick ass in the cartel <laughs> okay so like but uh okay so it's and I, I, wait, queen of the south is recent or queen of the south was started in 2016 but a new season just came out, so I was told to start watching it because my team kept talking about it, and it kind of took over. Oh, okay, and, okay, okay. And I didn't know who to love or hate. I felt for everyone. I couldn't believe some of the things I saw. <laughs> no child can walk into you watching that because they might be traumatized. Right, right, right. So, I mean, like, I look, I, I honestly don't get a chance to watch anything that I'm not assigned to. Okay. Um, I did recently, I did watch... Like recently, uh, I'll be home. No, I'll be gone in the dark, which is like um, it's on H. Actually, it's not even out yet. <laughs> it's on HBO, and and I watched it thinking that I might have to cover it, but it just didn't turn out to be as good as I was hoping it would be. It's a true okay. crime series that about Patton Oswalt's wife. I don't know if you know her. No. Like her Patton Oswalt's late wife, Michelle McNamara, uh, wrote a book called "I'll Be Gone in the Dark," which was a real deep investigation into one of the most prolific but under-recognized serial killers in the U.S. named the Golden State Killer. Uh, she's the one that actually gave him the name Golden State Killer. Uh, killed a lot more people than the Zodiac Killer and stuff. And uh, I mean, but it's not like the most exciting, you know, of the true crime stuff. Uh, uh, it is somewhat introspective and stuff. But, so I watched that hoping I would cover it. That's not the one I would actually recommend people watch. I personally am trying to get around to watching The Watchmen, which I've been trying to watch for a month. I mean, no, it's not for, not for months. I've been trying to watch for like six months now. Uh, but this is how hard it is to, for me to watch something I want to watch, right? Like, I, yes. I just can't get around to it. Like, it's like, uh, and like, it's, there's, no, there's no coverage purpose for me because the time has already passed. So, like, that's, that, that's on my to-do list. But now in terms of stuff I have watched, I really did enjoy Never Have I Ever. It's definitely for the younger audiences. It's definitely very cringy at first and uh, takes a little getting used to, but the people are so charming as hell that eventually I did get into it. And then there's a personal connection there. I feel very connected to the star of that show. She's Tamil Canadian like me, and there's like none of us in the media. So that's the personal, like, I mean, this is the first ever Tamil Canadian uh, star in in uh, ever really so uh, so she's kind of like our next generation so i'm very proud of that uh but now like honestly look at my favorite shows first of all i mean i i just it baffles me sometimes when i meet people and they, they've never seen the wire nikki have you seen the wire 
Oh my God, Nikki, Nikki, Nikki. The Wire is the Sistine Chapel of television. Really? The Wire is a is the best thing you will ever see on television. The Wire is an incredible series where you need to watch all five seasons and then go back and watch the first season again because it is that incredible. The Wire to me is television's answer to The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is just. Like, you know, it's an interesting thing. Like, you know, I don't know if you noticed, we've been talking lately about, you know, with the George Floyd stuff, we've been talking about police, you know, about police brutality and all this stuff. And, and even about how police are depicted in entertainment. Think about police in movies and like, uh, and even like the buddy cop comedies or just actions. Like they borrow, I've been, I've wrote, written a piece about how they borrow their tropes from the Westerns where it always ends up in a standoff, right? Like you know, the police in our movies and our television shows, like they're not happy with arresting the villains they're always have they always have to find some reason some justification to kill the villains this is the diet we are raised on this is what we believe police to do and then it shocks us when the police are so eager to kill people out there in the streets right the wire is one of those rare things that came out in 2000 where the win was in building getting the arrest like these guys go out of their way the whole show is all about them building the case uh, building the case and the climax is they build enough of a case to get an arrest. Like it is, uh, you know, like that's why, I mean, it is a show that deals with police brutality, mm-hmm. but it's also an incredible show because it's not, it's, it's cops versus ro- the criminals, but it's like, it's empathetic to all sides and it doesn't just, it takes on, it, yeah, it, it depicts the cop sides it, and it, it depicts both sides of that. And as every season progresses, it adds a new element. It takes on politics. It takes on education. It takes on media. So it, it, it expands out the world between these cops and the criminals so that you understand the system in in place that creates the that creates basically the drug the crack epidemic and stuff so uh no absolutely brilliant stuff uh, you definitely have to check that out that is the gold that is the go that is the one uh and after that i love sharp objects you know um like the, uh, so I'm just trying to think of some other. Sopranos is obviously a, a really great one. Sopranos is the great show before The Wire came along. Um, so and then I, and then I really loved uh, Sharp Objects as this kind of like uh, Southern fried, sexy killer, serial killer mystery that's just so so kind of um, haunted house, so to speak. Like uh, yeah, uh, what other shows? Great shows, great shows. Those are my favorites for now. No, I like I like this list. You know what I do after my podcast? I know exactly what I'm watching. And right, right, right. The joke in my house is like, now I have a list. I'm like watching what everybody tells me to watch. Ooh, have you watched Fleabag? I, I mean, I, this is this, everyone must have told you about Fleabag. No. Oh, Fleabag is one for the ages, and this is like this is a very much a women's show, but it's just so amazing. Like it is, it is like. The, it's like the modern answer to Sex in the City, and but I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of Sex in the City. I don't by any means. But Fleabag is just there's just she's like it's you know it's made by Phoebe Waller Bridge. It is so witty. This is particularly the second season, by the way. Like it's good in the first season, then it gets amazing in the second season. But she's just so witty and inventive and and like like and so lovable that like that that is definitely like leap to the like to one of my favorite shows ever. That's wicked. Done all of them, and yeah. I have time. Thanks. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. We definitely have time now. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask you about your career bucket list because I've got some really interesting listeners and some really cool things have happened when someone says what they want on this show. Mm. So um, if no particular orders and if I could make unicorns fly, what do you want? What comes next for you? What's that one random thing? You're like, this is just what I want to do. Oh, Nikki, this is such a depressing conversation. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Okay, you know what I when I got into this business, what my dream job was? 
it was to be the film critic of the Toronto Star because I grew up reading the Toronto Star, right? The Toronto Star just canceled entertainment. You know what I mean? Like they canceled their entertainment section. That's no fun. I know. So it's like, like it was like the thing that I was working towards, the thing that I've been building this career for. It's interesting though, because it's like, if you think about it, I got to, I, I, you know, in some ways I, 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 my career exceeded what my original dream was. Cause I'm, I'm the film critic for the national breakfast show, right? Like that's kind of the golden ring. Even bigger. It was. It, it is even bigger, and yet it wasn't what I was shooting for. No, and now you're like, what? The, yeah, like I mean, so while I was the film critic, the Toronto of the of CTV, like of the National Breakfast Show, I still always dreamed of like then coupling that with the Toronto Star. It still had to have that. So now that's taken away. I've hit the ceiling in this career, you know. Like there's nowhere up. So I can't tell you what I want you to make happen because it would be revealing my next plan my next game like and what i'm like it would be revealing the maneuver i'm trying to make but let me i'll say well no okay i'll tell you this i'll tell you the different options because okay. this is this is I, I i when i got to this position in fact it was inter- an interesting thing i got to this position one of the first people or like uh, not like when i got into this position but as i settled in this position uh one of the first people i met with or had dinner had a lunch with was um cameron bailey now bear in mind the, the so you know Cameron Bailey is head of TIFF right God so basically my entire career has always been in the shadow of Cameron Bailey if you think about it he was the former he was the former junior film critic of Now Magazine mm. he was also a contributor to Metro Morning which I am he was also the film critic on the National Breakfast Show which I am I have been I have taken up and followed, stepped into every role that he was in and so he's like and so in that meeting he's like so you know what's next for you which is you know so now i'm going to be the head of tiff no i i am not that person though but see here's the thing that's that thing i am not that person i am not cameron bailey because cameron bailey is such a smooth motherfucker i am not that like and he will tell you this too i am not he knows that i cannot keep myself contained i cannot i cannot like you know the, I cannot shake hands like and like make everyone like I I I I'm too in people's face for this. So, but at the same time, it's like I'm not canceling that out. But basically, Cameron laid it out for me. Like, well, he, we we both worked out what are my avenues here. So it's like because I got to this part. So one avenue is yes, following in Cameron Bailey's footsteps and becoming some big figure at either the Toronto Film Festival or if it's not the Toronto Film Festival, maybe some other major Canadian film industry institution, right? Uh, so sure, there's that avenue. Or there's the avenue of maybe a Ben Mulrooney going towards being an entertainment show host or something and like beyond, going beyond, um, going beyond uh, film criticism and covering and becoming the next host of every, you know, just was it yesterday that Ben said he's going to step down from uh being hosting e-talk well everyone messaged me like rad no we're not there yet guys that's not happening that's not the move i that is not at all the thing i've been keeping secret that is not happening okay but but certainly that's something i might keep in mind as is one of the options for this avenue so i'm giving you three options you pick one for your magic genie thing okay and then and then the other one is like so but the the other kind of goal i guess would be so it's like so i I, you know if we were looking at my different like the the different gurus in my life we have cameron bailey one area one area the other one would be i guess ben mulrooney the other avenue and then the third avenue would be matt galloway 
um, the guy who first put me on in behind the mic, right? So, and again, this is also another thing where I am in no, no, I am none of these guys. I am nowhere near as talented and smooth and whatnot as any of these guys. Ben Mulroney, the way he, like the amount of hours this guy puts in, the way he handles himself from in front of a TV, I can only dream of getting to that level. Matt Galloway, the sheer genius and the breadth and scope of what this guy can handle and talk about on the mic, I don't think I can ever reach that. I would be, if I ever get to a position like his, I would certainly be the goofy miniature version of it. But I mean, it's still, it's still a nice goal to aspire to. Okay, so so those, those, those are the goals in life. Here's what I got for you. I don't know which one though. I like all three for you. <laughs> and I think that people are wanting more and more of the dork who's real. Right. Real is good, you know? Wait, and so, hold on. Did, did, that, did I say real? Who said real? I said real. <laughs> interesting. It, it's interesting that you say that because that is the most common. Every, anytime people are asked to describe me or compliment me, that's what I get. That's wicked. <laughs> that's like, I mean, just recently it was like Cameron on Twitter said, was like saying, paying a compliment. And he's like, he was like, he was just saying, he was describing, what was he doing? He was, well, first of all, okay. He said, uh, what I love about your work, Rad, is your fearlessness. And he said, you made, I said what I said, your credo. And that's what counts for a lot. I said what I said, right? He, what a lot of people don't know is he was quoting me. I had a meeting with Cameron once and I said that. I'm pretty sure that's what I, I think he's either directly quoting me or paraphrasing. I think I said to him, I said what I said. So <laughs> there is a, an actual reference point for why he said that, but so yeah, <laughs> so I, mean, I just found it interesting that you, in this me in this podcast, that was the the thing you came to I, the realness. Yes, well, you know what? Um, in my world, I, I meet with a lot of people, and I can honestly say that journalists are some of my favorite people. I'm not meeting mean journalists. I'm meeting people who have a genuine interest in telling a story. Mm. And but when I was going to meet you with Jamie, who works with me, she said, "Nikki, this isn't going to feel like work. This is rad. That's our people." <laughs> And I said, okay. And then it was really cool meeting you. Like that was like the last yeah. meeting we had before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and, and Jamie is amazing. Like, you know, like I have, but, but that was, I mean, that was, it was interesting how many, how the possibilities seemed so alive when we met. <laughs> that it was like, cause it was how it was only like weeks before COVID. No, like it was, it was very, you know, like it was like everything was going to happen and then nothing. <laughs> and then COVID. And yeah, I, was, I, exactly. I still remember that cafe, like that cute little cafe that let's hope they're still alive when this is all right, done. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just want to shout out. Jamie is amazing. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, are we allowed to talk about where Jamie came from and stuff? Like, is yeah. That, uh, yeah. So, you know, she was a publicist for Warner Brothers. And normally it's so hard for a film critic, especially a very critical film critic, to get along with a studio publicist. And Jamie was just one of those exceptional people that like, she just got it and she and she just happened to also be working on a movie so the hilarious thing is jamie uh when at one point she was uh, working on inherent vice which is i think one of the best movies of the 21st century but not a lot of people agree with me on that but it was jamie's title and so it's me and jamie working together like trying to get this movie out and it was just such fond memories because it's like i felt so alone in my battle to fight this war to get a warner brothers movie the fact that this like oddity of a movie was represented by warner brothers and that jamie is handling it was such a weird thing and that the fact that we were aligned in trying to promote this movie was such an uncommon thing 
um it was just such a special moment for me <laughs> you know jamie is um i've had some adventures with her and that's for another yeah. podcast but we're still alive <laughs> to talk about them so yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think jamie's awesome and Rad. I mean, I feel like you and I are going to have another one of these conversations in about six months and I'll be like, so Rad, I can't believe that happened. And you're going to be like, it did. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to have a wall like yours. Done. That's like my, that's my goal. If you can make one thing happen for me, I want that wall. Send me a logo. Can you make one of those for me too? Rad, anything is possible. <laughs> there you go. If you're still in business with COVID, but anything is possible. There you go. Brad, thank you so much for joining me on Superstar PR. Thanks for having me, Nikki. You are awesome. And people, if you want to follow Rad, Rad, are you still on Twitter? I am absolutely on Twitter, despite what we said earlier. And it's just say Rad, right? Exactly. Just say Rad on both Twitter and Instagram. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining us, Rad, and keep shining. (laughs) Thanks. I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in to Superstar PR. New episodes are available every other Friday. And you know, we would love your feedback. So please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to subscribe to Superstar PR on your favorite streaming service and visit www.mickeyinc.ca to sign up for podcast alerts and notifications. Thank you so much for listening.